Psalm 85 verse 6 says in the Bible, the Amplified, will you not revive us again and bring us to life again that your people may rejoice in you? Now, while I've been preparing this preach, it's really caused me to cry out to God, Lord, I need another Pentecost. I need a reawakening. I need revival in my life, both spiritually and physically. And I don't expect I'm the only one. So let's use this morning just to examine where we are in our walk with God. Am I on fire? Or am I in a comfortable, familiar rut, just going through the motions? We need spiritual revival for each one of us personally. Also for us corporately as a body of believers in this place. And we need revival for Totnes and across our nation. So, what is revival? Is it a sovereign act of God? Is it out of our hands? Does it just happen? Is there anything we can do to help it happen? Now, I was looking for a definition of spiritual revival, and I came across this one from Terry Virgo, who founded New Frontiers, a family of more than 1,500 churches across 70 nations. And this is what he says. Spiritual revival, a phenomenal sovereign intervention from God which starts in the church, often leading to profound repentance and fresh encounters with God. This overflows into the world, resulting in large numbers of conversions and ultimately leading to a climate of social change. Now, that's quite full there, um, his, his, his um, definition of revival. Now, looking at revival, let's first look at biblical revivals. It's always good to start with the word of God. Now, in the Old Testament, there are several accounts of great revivals when people turned to God, gave up their sinful ways of living. We haven't got the time to study them here, but just for a quick few examples. How about Moses in Exodus 32? The people had been earlier miraculously delivered from Egypt and from their slavery. They began to moan and complain. Moses had gone up the mountain and he'd met with God and received the Ten Commandments. And when he came down, he found the people had got fed up of waiting for him. And they'd said to Aaron, come and make us some gods that can lead us. We don't know what's happened to this Moses who's brought us up out of Egypt. So Aaron had them bring all their gold and their gold jewellery and he melted it down, moulded it into the shape of a calf and then they all worshipped it. They all got drunk and had a great old time. The Lord alerted Moses to what they were up to and he ran down the mountain with the two stone tablets and when he saw them all drunk and dancing around this golden calf, he was so furious he threw the tablets down and they were broken and he smashed up the golden calf. He was angry. And God was going to destroy them all, even though he delivered them out. He was going to destroy them all. But Moses interceded on behalf of the people. And then they all went into mourning, and God relented. They confessed their sin, 
and turn back and put their trust completely in God. In Samuel, 1 Samuel 7, we find Samuel telling the people to destroy their foreign gods. They had allowed lots of foreign gods and images to come into their land and they were beginning to obey them. And Samuel took a young lamb and he sacrificed it. That's a picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. And he pleaded with the Lord to rescue and to revive the people. In Ezra, the men had been marrying pagan women and taken up all their pagan practices and wandered right away from God. And Ezra, he pleads before the Lord with a very long prayer in chapter 9, a result of which is that the people confess their sin and they weep and they acknowledge they've been unfaithful to God and they turn back to God. And Nehemiah, now Nehemiah, he was governor the same time as Ezra was the priest. This is the same time. And we remember him for the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. <coughs> but within all of that, when Ezra read the book of the law to the people, they all realized they hadn't been following God's laws. And Nehemiah got them all to fast, to confess their sin, and he read God's word publicly, and they all promised to serve God wholeheartedly. Now, there's lots of other similar accounts of revival times in the Old Testament. David, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah. And if we come on to the New Testament, firstly, of course, we have Jesus. When he began his ministry, he taught with authority, and his teachings astounded everyone. He turned the religious world upside down with his wise words and parable. He was healing. Everybody was sick. He was performing miracles. He was delivering people from evil spirits. And he challenged the religious people. There had never been a spiritual revival like this. This was the biggest spiritual wake-up call ever. This was the kingdom of God come to earth. And then in the New Testament, after Jesus had died and had risen, we have great revival, again, in the early church. At Pentecost... We have the believers together in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes big time. And suddenly there's this sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting. Can you imagine it? They were what looked like flames or tongues of fire and they settled on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, every one of them, and they all spoke in other languages that, humanly, they just did not know. And as it was Pentecost, the town was absolutely filled with Jews from many countries, and everyone heard them speaking as if in their own language. Following that, Peter, bless him, he gets up and preaches about Jesus, and 3,000 people get saved. I mean, that's revival. That's revival. And the believers carried on performing signs and wonders, just like Jesus did. Healings, miracles, and so on. And they had this holy boldness to share Jesus with everyone. And the religious leaders didn't like it. So they persecuted them. The Christians got scattered across the nations, bringing the news of salvation everywhere. This was the most amazing revival and as we move on through history, <coughs> there are historical revivals. There have been so many of them, but I'm just going to give you some little excerpts, a little taste 
first of the Welsh revival. That was in 1904, not very long ago, really. Here's just a few things. There was one chap called Evan Roberts that God used quite mightily in that revival, and he'd been praying for revival for 13 years. I'm just going to read some extracts that I've taken out about this. It says, Just after 11 o'clock on a Wednesday evening over 100 years ago, a solo voice rang out with a beautiful Welsh hymn, Here is love, vast as the ocean. This became the love song of the revival. We sang it this morning. It said, maybe there were a thousand people in this little chapel, leaning over the galleries, packing every pew and squeezing into every spare corner. And they'd been there for more than four hours of intense emotion. Meetings like that were taking place across Wales every night with fervent prayer and passionate singing. Welsh are well known for their singing. And similar disregard for the clock. (laughs) It was reckoned that in less than a year, over 150,000 people had made a commitment to Jesus. Whole communities got turned upside down, and they were changed. The crime rate dropped, often to nothing. The police force reported they had little more to do than to supervise the coming and going of people to the chapels. While the magistrates turned up at court, finally got no cases to hear. The alcohol trade was decimated. People were caught up more by what was happening in the local chapels than in the local public houses. And families experienced amazing renewal. Men, whose language had been filthy before, learned to talk purely. It's related that not only did the coal miners put in a better day's work, but that the pit ponies, who were so used to being cursed and sworn at, didn't understand the orders when they were given in kind, clean words. And the underground tunnels echoed with the sound of prayers and hymns. People were paying back money they owed. People who had fallen out became friends again. There was an intense passion for Jesus and a remarkable widespread passion for singing. And there was an overwhelming sense of God's presence. Later on in 1949, we had a revival in the Hebrides and some people here possibly would have been alive then and 1949, yeah. It filled the church with young people. I'll read what it says in the extracts I've written. Some men began to pray. Men from several different churches began to pray in a barn three nights a week for several months, and they prayed through till four or five in the morning. On the night before revival broke out, they entered into a time of repentance. Although they'd been asking for revival for months, they themselves were not of clean hands and a pure heart. And it was when they began praying for personal revival that the breakthrough happened. They continued praying until 5 a.m. And in addition to them, there were two old ladies, sisters, who were housebound and infirm. They couldn't get to church, and their small home was their prayer closet. Peggy and Christine Smith, 82 and 84. One was blind and the other crippled with arthritis. Yet these women were mighty intercessors of God. 
And the Lord gave them the promise. It's from Isaiah 44 and verse 3. And they contended for this promise for their island in prayer day and night. What that verse says is, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Now, God showed Peggy and Christine there was a Scottish preacher who was coming called Duncan Campbell, and that he was going to be the one. He said he couldn't come, he had something else to do, but the Lord cleared his calendar. He was coming for two weeks, and he stayed for two years. (coughs) The lights were burning in the homes along the road. No one seemed to think of sleep. Three men were found lying by the roadside in a torment of conviction, crying out to God to have mercy upon them. The events of that night will never be forgotten by those who were there. Buses came from the four corners of the island, crowding out the church. There were seven men being driven to the meeting in a butcher's truck. When suddenly the Spirit of God fell on them, they all got converted before they reached the church. And as the preacher delivered the message, there was this tremendous conviction of sin sweeping across the people, tears rolling down their faces. As the meeting was about to close, everybody had moved out, more or less, and then a young man began to pray again. And he was under a tremendous burden to pray, and he prayed for about three quarters of an hour. And the people kept gathering till there were twice as many outside as there were inside, and that went on till four in the morning. The moment people took their seats, the Spirit of God, in awful conviction, just swept through them, and they all were weeping and confessing their sin. And just as it was closing this meeting, a messenger hurried up and said, Come with me, come with me. There's a crowd of people outside the police station. They are weeping and in awful distress, and we don't know what's wrong with them. But they're calling for someone to come and pray with them. It says, I saw a a sight I never thought was possible, something I shall never forget. Under the starlit sky, men and women were kneeling everywhere, by the roadside, outside the cottages, crying to God to have mercy on them. Nearly 600 people had been making their way to the church when suddenly the Spirit of God had fallen on them in great conviction, just like Paul on the way to Damascus. They fell to their knees in repentance. Revival had come. And that revival carried on for two years. Now, there are many accounts of other revivals in in different places and at different times throughout the world. I've got not time to look at them here, but there are no end of books about them you can read. Very exciting. They really raise your faith levels. Now, in more recent times... There have been times of refreshing or renewing, times when the Holy Spirit moved powerfully within the churches, such as the charismatic renewal in the 60s and 70s. And there'll be quite a few of you here I know who would have been part of that. And then the Toronto blessing in the 90s. These, however, have not necessarily resulted in classic revival, that full definition with thousands of people outside the church turning to Jesus. But those times have reawakened Christians. 
given them new worship, a new fervor, a new expectation to see miracles and healings, and bolder confidence to share the gospel, and that fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. Now, the charismatic renewal of the 60s and 70s was to some degree, I think, held back by the formality of the established church at the time. Church was generally quite formal, and this was new wine, needed new wineskins. So at that time, in some cases, this resulted in the formation of what we now call house churches. People met in their houses, like in the New Testament. And that led on to meeting in school halls and then larger warehouse-type venues. And some of those over the years have developed into their own denominations. Now, I was saved in 1978, and I had no idea what was going on at the time. A few weeks after I was saved, the lady who led me to the Lord asked if I'd like to come with her and some others to a full gospel businessman's dinner. Now, I had no idea what the full gospel was, and I was definitely not a businessman. And as a single parent with three young kids, I never really went out to dinner anywhere. So on all counts, I didn't think I qualified, but I went anyway. We had a meal at a hotel, and a local businessman stood and shared his faith, and there was a call to go forward for prayer. Now, all this was just weirdly alien to me at this time, but all I can say is I had a compulsion to get to the front and be prayed for. So I just found myself up there somehow, and these two elderly men came up and they asked if I'd come forward to ask Jesus into my life. And I said, no, 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 thank you. I did that a few weeks ago. So then they said, well, have you come wanting healing? Are you unwell? I said, no, very well, thank you. So they looked a bit perplexed. They said, well, we would just lay hands on you and pray for you. As soon as they laid their hands on me, I experienced an amazing touch of God. I found myself praying in tongues, and I didn't know what tongues were. And I experienced this overwhelming sense of God's presence and his love around me and within me. The expression they used was, you've been baptised in the Holy Spirit. Again, I had no idea what all that was about. However, when I went home that night, my non-Christian babysitters looked at me and said, Cool, you've been knocking it back tonight. You're really drunk. Now, I hadn't at that time read Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came on the disciples and they said, these men are drunk. So I said, no, I'm completely sober. I, I, we've been drinking juice and water all evening. They didn't have any alcohol. They didn't believe me. They just didn't believe me. When they left... I remained up the entire night. I never went to bed. I prayed in tongues all night, and I experienced a powerful sense of God's presence. I'll never forget that, and it's not left me. Now, the Toronto blessing fell in the 1990s. Now, there was divided opinion. Anyone who was around at that time will know. People ask you, are you for it, or are you against it? There were weird and wonderful manifestations of the Holy Spirit all over the place. Some embraced that and others shunned it. I used to think that it was not about the experience itself, 
but whether having had that experience changed you and renewed you. Now, some people always will just chase experiences. But I believe God graciously gives us these experiences to change and renew our walk with him. We still, though, desperately need the kind of classic revival that will confront our secular nation with the gospel of the crucified and risen Christ. Now, there was an American evangelist in 1967 called Jean Darnell, and she had a vision of revival for the United Kingdom. She saw a vision of our nation in darkness with scattered beacons of light which grew and ultimately came together in a great breakthrough of light. She felt God would confirm this by two signs, two natural signs. And the first one was in 1977, the Queen's Jubilee. Beacons were lit across the nation. And again in 1995, Again, beacons were used to celebrate the 50th anniversary of VE Day. And don't we just need such a revival in our land at a time like this? Brexit has been one of the most divisive issues in our land over the past three years, with anger and violence expressed from both sides at the other. And not only out there, I've even heard Christians getting very angry with one another over their views on Brexit. This should not be. This should not be. And now we find ourselves on the brink of a general election. Now, one of the best things to come out of it, however, we mentioned in our Thursday prayer group a few weeks ago, and it's this. It has caused us to pray fervently for the nation in a way we hadn't done before, for our politicians, for the government, for leaders. And that is echoed throughout the country because Christians are praying in a way across our land in a way we just haven't done before. Although we're commanded to in scripture, we've never really, we may have just given it a token prayer here and there. Lord, bring revival to our land. So is there anything we can do to speed up that revival? One thing that we find in every historical revival I looked at It is preceded by prayer. We see the early church in prayer prior to Pentecost. We see the praying of such as Evan Roberts before the Welsh revival. We see two ladies in their 80s, one blind, one frail, praying before the Hebridean revival. So we need personal revival and corporate revival I remember a time here when we had some visiting prophets, Ivan and Isabel Allen. I don't know if anybody remembers, was here? Some of you were, weren't you? Yeah. We had a Sunday evening service, and they said they had words for God for each one of us. Um, I remember Isabel standing and saying, don't you hate it when some visiting prophet comes and all he does is say, you there in the red jumper, stand up. God's got a word for you. And, you, and they, never, they never point to you, you know. And you're either hiding, thinking, don't point at me, or you're saying, here I am, have a word for me, Lord. But she said, I believe God's got a word for all of us. And we all remained 
and they spent time individually with each person, listening to God for them. Now, Pete and I were there. We left the church here about 2 a.m. Monday morning. And because we'd been so touched by God, we didn't care that we had to get up early for work. It didn't matter. And dear faithful Fraser, he finally locked the building up when the last person left, which I think was about 5 a.m. Monday morning. Now, those words that have been given to us really impacted our lives as we unpacked them. The, the leaders were very good about showing us how to unpack these words and how to pray through them and not just leave them. Over times when the Holy Spirit comes that we just don't want to go home. That would be amazing. Now, there have been prophetic words over this church over the years. And I was looking through some of them prior to this. I was encouraged by two particularly. It's just a little snippet from one way back in 1991. A picture was given of open doors and that the doors of this building should be open to the community. That prophecy is fulfilled because the doors of this building are open almost daily to welcome people into open church. And one sentence jumped out at me from another prophecy which says, you will bring in those in financial bondage. Wow, what do we have now? We have Christians against poverty here. However, I want to read a vision and a prophetic word which was given to this church in 2013 by a wonderful man called John Gordon. I'm going to read it all. Prophetic word to Totnes United Free, 1st September 2013. I had a vision of a large fireball descending from the heavens and landing directly upon your building. Remarkably, though the building was enveloped in huge flames, the fabric and structure of the building remained completely undamaged and intact like the burning bush witnessed by Moses in Exodus. Out of the building streamed people. They were radiant and glowing and carried aloft torches rather like the Olympic torch which passed around Britain. The people spread out in all four directions of the compass, bringing torches into homes, offices, commercial buildings, right through the area. And at the same time, there were others coming into the church building, drawn by the remarkable divine blaze within. <coughs> the fire of God began in the church and rapidly spread with flames, rising throughout the area, illuminating the town and the dark valley. And from this, he said, emerged the following word. My people, get ready, because I am preparing to send my holy fire upon you in a new and a fresh way, such as you have not witnessed before. The fire will embrace my presence, my purification, and my power. The light of my glory will increase as the Shekinah descends. The fire will bring fresh purity and refinement. The stubble and chaff will be ignited. The waste places will be leveled. You will experience my glory and holiness as never before. And it will not only burn away the dross and refine you as gold and silver, but will powerfully draw those who are hurt and seeking my love and forgiveness. Many who are burning strange fire in this area, after the manner of Aaron's sons, will be confounded by the reality of the holy fire of God. And there are many out there 
with strange signs. The fire will also bring a new dimension of power which will inform every aspect of your church life and ministry. Your worship, your outreach, spiritual gifts will all be impacted and there will come a deeper revelation of the power of my word. A deeper passion will burn within your hearts, both leaders and congregation. You have labored long and hard. At times, the opposition and setbacks have seemed formidable. Yet the sticks are being laid, and your patient endeavors in kingdom will yet be set ablaze in a way you would not have previously imagined. Therefore, break up the fallow ground. Consecrate yourselves afresh. When my holy fire comes, do not resist it, for it is an unquenchable blaze. Your God is a consuming fire, consuming fire of holiness and love. Now, <coughs> my call to us this morning, firstly, is to ask ourselves, what can I do to experience a personal revival? And what part do I have to play if I want to see revival in this church and out there in the nation. So firstly, to experience a personal revival, we need to take a spiritual inventory. Get alone with God and look at your life. Really examine it. Because we need a new sensitivity and awareness of the sin in our lives. We need to be clean. Not perfect, but clean. We need to reverence God and be touch sensitive to sin. We need to repent of every known sin. And we need to forsake all our questionable habits and attitudes. We need to make right any wrong between ourselves and others. We need to worship. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and keep on being refilled daily. We need to look at our thought life, our attitudes. We need to forgive others. So getting away from everything and spend time with God in prayer, in praise, in the word. And just ask yourself, what's my lifestyle like right now? Have I let things slip? Ask God to point out areas to you that need changing or addressing or wrongs that need writing. And ask for a new hunger for his word. Don't concern yourself about anyone else and what they're doing because this is about you. It's about me, it's about you. He wants you to be holy, set apart for him, obedient to his word. So we need to ask ourselves, have I just been going through the motions lately? Have I settled into a familiar rut? A new sensitivity to and an awareness of sin will give us a new awareness of God's grace and kindness. It will affect how we live. It'll bring about a desire to change and put right the things that are wrong. You know, shortly, well, shortly after I was saved, I went into a shop and I was given change for a £20 note when I'd only given her £10. Now, before I was saved, that would have gone in my pocket. I'd have walked out. No problem. And I was desperately hard up. And for a moment, as I had it in my hand, I hesitated. But then I decided to tell her, oh, actually, I only gave you a £10 note. She looked very shocked. 
very pleased because she knew her till would now add up at the end of the day. But God saw that small act of honesty. God sees the things we do. Nobody else sees them. God sees them. And he saw my heart. He has always provided for me. I have complete faith and trust that my God will provide all I need. A new sensitivity and awareness of sin will also affect how we speak. Maybe we should stop swearing, but it might not happen overnight. How we use our words to build up and encourage others rather than scorn, criticise and judge. It will affect how we love. That's the hallmark, a love of God and his people. Corporate revival. We do not have because we do not ask. Prayer is key. We see that prayer preceding every revival in history. Pray, pray, pray. Take every opportunity to pray with others as well. Pray with your spouse, with your friends, in small groups, in large groups, wherever you meet other Christians. We read amazing prayers for revival in the Bible. Daniel, for example, he says, Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. And there's a very key verse in the Bible, 2 Chronicles 7.14, you're probably familiar with it. It says this, If my people, that's us, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, there's a lot of conditions there, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and heal their land. That is powerful. Our land needs healing, not just um, politically, it needs healing environmentally, it needs healing in so many ways. Now let's stand. Can we all stand? The band can come up. Now, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to ask the Lord to come and bring you revival in your heart, to renew your walk with him, (coughs) make this your prayer too. Maybe if that's you, you can lift your hands as a sign of surrender. Let's pray. Excuse me, just a moment. (coughs) Lord, we come to stand together to humble ourselves in your presence. We ask that you would revive us. Blow a fresh wind of your Holy Spirit across this room right now, Lord. We ask that you would examine our hearts and burn away the rubbish. You are a holy God, but our hearts are not pure.
we turn away from our complacency. We turn away from our compromise with the world. We confess our sin. Come, Lord, and wash away our filth. Come and renew us, Lord. Give us a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit that we might be on fire for you once again. Give us expectant hearts. Give us a spirit of prayer. Give us Holy Spirit strength and courage. Make us bold and fervent. We ask that we might experience personal revival. We ask that we may experience a fresh wind of your spirit upon us as a family of believers here in this place. And we ask that those beacons of fire that were prophesied might grow across this land until they burst out in revival. We ask that people in this land who are disillusioned and cynical will experience the joy and the love of your salvation. We pray your kingdom will come here in this land once again. We ask that you will remove scales from eyes, you will unblock ears and soften hearts across this land. We pray that the cross of Jesus Christ be lifted high and unashamed over this land and that kingdom values will once again prevail. And Lord, we ask that you would start with us each one of us purify us reawaken us ignite us deliver us let us experience the vastness of your love afresh in Jesus name Amen